We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The third time's the charm for the SEC, the third and final day in Hoover, Alabama. The reigning national champions talk about turning the page as the SEC wraps up media days tomorrow. As for the ACC, they got their own party started. That was today in Charlotte, North Carolina. The Coastal Division kicked things off. You'll hear the news out of the ACC as well. Happy to be with you here on College Football Live. I'm Wendy Nix with Desmond Howard and Greg McElroy. We always like a good buzz, Greg. That's just the way it works, and it sounds like there's a little bit of buzz out of the SEC. What can you tell us? Uh, a little bit is an understatement, Wendy. The room within the last five or six minute, minutes emptied into the main ballroom where Jimbo Fisher is set to take the stage. Part of the reason why, the Houston Chronicle has reported that Texas and Oklahoma have actually reached out to the SEC and kind of gauged their interest in a possible realignment, meaning that Texas and Oklahoma could become the 15th and 16th member members of the SEC, which would create college football's first super conference. So uh, obviously people panicking. Wow. The fact that it's A&M Day makes it even more insane. But Wendy, it is, it is buzzing here like it hasn't buzzed in quite some time. There's no question about that, and the timing, of course, impeccable, just as Jimbo steps up to the podium. Des, listen, we haven't had a super conference. Uh, I would say, can you imagine, but I know you can because anything's possible. Uh, what's your take on the possible two additions to the SEC? Well, initially, I would want to understand what's the motivating factor behind that thought process. I mean, like, why would you want to join, outside of it being a super conference, the conference that's considered the strongest conference in college football with the greatest college football coach, arguably, that we've ever seen? Why would you want to get to that conference and not have a chance to beat up Nick Saban, Alabama? I don't understand the motivating factor behind that. All right, guys, I quoted Ric Flair once before. I'll say it again. To be the best, you got to beat the best. I <laughs> doubt that's it, but we'll talk more about this coming up. There's no question about that. We will, though, turn the page right now and talk about the reigning national champions. It was their day at Media Day after beating Ohio State to win a sixth national title. Nick Saban looks to go back-to-back -back for the first time since he did it in 11, 2011, and 12. There'll be a lot of new faces in Tuscaloosa, both on and off the field. O.C. Steve Sarkeesian off to Texas, but Saban brought in a pair of NFL coaches, Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone, to the offensive staff. And on the field, Alabama will have to replace Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith, running back Najee Harris, and quarterback Mac Jones. Saban on the challenges of rebuilding. You know, the penalty for success when you win a national championship um, is you won because you had a whole lot of good players. Uh, they were well coached, so you had a lot of good coaches. Um, and when you lose some of those players, 
and you lose some of those coaches to better opportunities, you know, the challenge is, is you got to rebuild with a lot of new players who will have the younger, uh, have new roles, less experience, um, and how do they respond, you know, to these uh, new, ex new roles? And uh, that's why rebuilding is a tremendous challenge. That's why it's very difficult to repeat. We're going to be a work in progress uh, as we focus on improvement, um, and that's going to be critical to our success. Of course, it's a challenge, Greg, but it's one that Nick Saban has met almost every single time. What will be the biggest issue for Alabama this time around? Obviously, replacing the offensive personnel is a real challenge, and the turnover that they've had at wide receiver is the tiniest bit concerning. You just had, and I know Des knows this, the first Heisman Trophy winner at wide receiver in quite some time, Des. Not to mention the fact that they're now, in the last two years, have been four receivers that wore crimson and white that had their names called in the first round. That, coupled with the fact that a new quarterback is stepping under center in Bryce Young, it is a little bit of a question mark as to whether or not this passing attack is going to be as potent as it's been in years past. But I think a lot of people are really excited about the potential. It's just at this point, as it's still a little bit of an unknown. I couldn't agree with Greg more. You know, they've had the most prolific uh, wide receiver uh, meeting room in probably the last three or four years. I mean, the talent that came out of, out of Tuscaloosa is mind-blowing. But I'm also concerned, Greg, with the departure of Steve Sarkeesian. I know that Nick Sabres has some really prolific play callers um, as his OC before, and he's lost them before. But Steve Sarkeesian was a very special play caller, even when they had injuries like the Jalen Waddle. He was still able to use Devontae, uh, Devontae Smith in very unique and creative ways, in ways that made him win the Heisman. So the departure of Steve Sarkeesian, the guy who calls the plays, the guy who the quarterback has to rely on, what are you looking at? What do you see? They normally build a special rapport, as Greg can tell you, quarterback and offensive coordinator. Without Steve Sarkeesian there, being able to see the field for his young quarterback, helping him uh, navigate what defenses are trying to do to him, I think that's a very huge loss for Alabama's offense. I think another thing too, Des, is you're only as good as the schedule you play. Alabama's schedule, I would argue, even though they played 10 SEC teams last year, I would argue this year's schedule is significantly more challenging because the teams in the SEC are actually better. When you look at the SEC West, you could make a strong argument that every single team in the SEC West has improved. Most notably, Texas A&M. People say, well, they finished fourth last year. How can you go up from there? Well, they've gotten more talented along the offensive line. Kellen Mond, who was excellent at times last year, but was a roller coaster over the course of his career. He's now departed. They might actually be better and more consistent at that position, and they bring back nine starters on defense. Them, LSU, Auburn, just about everybody in the SEC West improves, and you have to go to Florida in the early part of the season as well. So I think the schedule is really difficult because everyone in the SEC has elevated their level of play, and Alabama's obviously uh, trying to replace some really good players over the last couple of years. Trying to replace those players, trying to replace Sarkeesian, who you both noted was a prolific play caller. And again, Greg, you started the answer, though, talking about the quarterback. And there's no question that Alabama has had quite the run of quarterbacks in recent history. If you look back just briefly, Jalen Hurts came in as a true freshman. That was in 2016. 
What he do? Well, he went 26 and two as a starter, and then it was two Chengavailoa's two-year run that included a Heisman runner-up finish in 2018. Then last year, it was Mac Jones's turn. He set an FBS record for completion percentage in 2020, and Bryce Young, the former top recruit out of California, will take the reins for the Tide. So a lot of new faces, and I'll, I'll ask it like this, Greg: Who who is Bryce Young? Well, he's an instinctive player that has great attributes. He's very athletic, not the biggest guy in the world, but I think that diminutive size, relatively speaking, allows him to move a little quicker in the short area. The guy can explode out of the pocket and can create with his legs, but Bryce Young's a thrower first. He just has that running ability, not all that dissimilar to Kyler Murray. I hate comparing guys to Heisman Trophy winners. I think that's really unfair, but if you're looking at a skill set that really dominated the college football world the last couple years, Kyler Murray is probably the closest guy to Bryce Young. So a lot of people very excited about what he's going to do. Just wow. questions around who's going to surround him at the supporting cast and what is the offense going to look like? Is it going to look more RPO like it did under Tua Tagovailoa, or is it going to look more drop back like it did under Mac Jones? Those are the questions we have right now about the offense. Well, listen, we talk about this every year when we start the season. Alabama, big shoes to fill. They've lost some big players, top names in the draft, and guess what? They do it again. Uh, until proven otherwise, I'm going to believe they will, but plenty to watch and plenty to play for. There's no question about that. Mainly that, the college football playoff national championship trophy presented by Dr. Pepper. It is certainly the hardware every single team wants to walk away with. Let's switch gears now. As I mentioned before, the ACC also kicked off media days today. Coming off another college football playoff appearance, Clemson looks to win number seven in terms of ACC titles. That's the second longest in the FBS in the AP poll era. Who has the best shot to change that? Both FPI and the odds makers say it's North Carolina and Miami, the top contenders. Both teams return quarterbacks from last year. And the conference does have star power at quarterback. DJ Ungolale, Sam Howell, and De'Eric King all among the top seven in terms of Heisman odds entering the season. We're joined now by ACC analyst and former Florida State quarterback EJ Manuel now from Charlotte, North Carolina. EJ, I'll start with you. Your top storylines right now in the ACC. Yeah, well, Wendy, I'll start off by saying I'm just so excited to be back in person. Uh, doing these shows from home is extremely tough. Obviously, we did what we had to do last year, but I'm so excited to be back and just get a chance to see these guys. The biggest storyline to me right now is the depth at quarterback in the ACC. You talk about Sam Howe, a guy who's put up 68 touchdown passes in two years as a starter at North Carolina, now coming to his junior season, more than likely going to go to the NFL draft. We're expecting a huge season from him. And then, look, you just said his name, DJ Uwe Ungalale, a guy that can make the big throws. We saw him in a small sample size against Boston College, who also came out and punched the Clemson in the gut. It wasn't like DJ just had an easy game to go out there and put up big numbers, but he certainly answered the bell, especially also versus Notre Dame. They didn't lose that game because of what DJ did out in the field. And I would say the third quarterback, De'Eric King, a guy who I think has had not just the actual playing ability, but the leadership quality that you want in a starting quarterback, wasn't able to compete in this spring. But we all know he took those mental reps and he took that time and made sure that he's going to be ready to go uh, as he goes into year two in Rhett Lashley's offense. And I want to mention another quarterback that when you guys start talking about him nationally, I want to take some credit. And it's Phil Jerkovic coming out of Boston College. I think he's a guy that can be a first or a second round pick in the NFL draft when it's time for him to go out. He's six foot five, 230 pounds, a guy that has a rocket arm. And again, he's great in the pocket. So I'm just so excited to see how these quarterbacks play in the ACC this year. 
Yes, yeah, a lot going on in the ACC, but you know, you look at Clemson because Clemson is to the ACC what Alabama is to the SEC. And when you have to replace a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, who is like a once-in-a-generation type of talent, then that, those are huge shoes to fill. Not even talking about the people that were around him, but just what he brought to the office. I mean, this young man was groomed to be the number one draft pick in the NFL since he was very young. I mean, coming out of high school, everyone knew that this young man was special. So you're looking at not just his physical attributes, everybody, but you look at what he brings as far as the it factor, mentally, how he prepares, how, how comfortable everyone is around him. He's the guy that you know when he's in the huddle, no matter what the score is, despite what's going on, you know you have a chance to win that game. So I think replacing not only his physical attributes, but his leadership skills and the, um, the it factor is going to be really interesting. We saw DJ play last year. We saw the Notre Dame game. But what Trevor Lawrence brought to Clemson was bigger than what he brought as a quarterback to the offense. He was more of a guy who could galvanize the whole team with his talents. Yeah, there, there's a lot of hats he wore, and those are big shoes to fill. EJ, I have to tell you, though, I live in New England. I can tell you they are hyped up in the heights. Funny to hear you talk about Boston College because they really believe in this yeah. kid and are hopeful the tide's about to turn uh, for the BC Eagles. Uh, we'll be back. College Football Live just getting started, both the SEC and ACC with media days. Jimbo Fisher had a great season in 2020. How close, though, is his team to closing that gap on Alabama? And we ask it every time, the U. How close is Miami to returning to the U of old? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Miami will be one of the most experienced teams in the nation, headlined by the return of quarterback De'Aaron King. The six-year senior threw for 23 touchdowns last year before tearing his ACL in December. Miami returns nine defensive starters, but they struggled on that side of the ball last year. Head coach Manny Diaz announced he will take over the play-calling duties on defense. It'll be tested early, the week one matchup against Alabama. If Miami can pull off the upset, they could be poised for just their second 10-1 season since joining the ACC in 2004. What's been great for Miami's standpoint is having such an experienced team. Some of the guys we brought with us here this, uh, today for Media Day is the offseason. You know, how do we go through spring practice? How do we go through the workouts? And, and, and guys that are experienced, but they came back for the right reasons. Uh, they want to see Miami win, and they want to set an example for the younger guys coming into our program, which to me at Miami we've not always had. We're going to be – improved on defense this year and that is all going to be about the players it's fun to talk about the coaches and the play calling and this that and the other but but great defense is ultimately about the connection between the players on the field the the trust and the accountability and that's where I felt like a year ago we just didn't quite have that to the extent we had we take a lot of pride in how we play defense at Miami I just felt like that we took a step back 
in that regard, not to our standard. EJ, can De'Ara King carry the load in year two? Wendy, he absolutely can. I mean, he put up, like you said, over 2,600 yards of uh, passing offense. And I just think, again, it's his leadership ability. This guy's had success everywhere he's played, whether it was at Houston and even now at Miami. And sure, he didn't get a chance to compete in the spring, but he spent a ton of time with the coaches, a ton of time watching his tape back, learning what he needs to do better to go into the season and just be more uh, especially accurate in those deep balls because I think that's an area where he can really take advantage of, especially now having Charleston Rambo coming over from Oklahoma. I tell you what, EJ, I agree with you 100%. I'm glad you mentioned the deep ball, too, because that's a part of his game that I want to see if he can get better throwing the deep ball. They need to go vertical. I mean, last year he only completed 21 out of 65 balls thrown 20 yards or longer. So that's not going to cut it. 32%. It landed him at 12th out of 14 quarterbacks who ranked in that same statistic. So I think that he's going to have to make defenses respect the vertical game. Because if defenses can play you in the little box and they know that you're a dual-threat quarterback, they can drop a guy in the box to spy you, which to me, as a receiver, that's what you want because you're going to get one-on-one on the outside. You want to get vertical. But until they respect that, he's going to have to really prove that he can throw it long because he's going to see eight, nine-man boxes, and it's going to really start to suffocate that running attack for the Hurricanes. Des, listen, you heard Coach Diaz talk about it. He'll take over the play calling on defense. He downplayed it, but it is a change. What does that mean for both the coach and the team? Yeah, well, for Manny, I mean, that's what we know Manny as. I mean, Manny is a real, one of the better defensive uh, play callers that we've seen in the past, I don't know, eight to ten years, and that's why he's the head coach of Miami right now because of what he's brought to the table as a defensive coordinator. But when you watch the Canes, in big games, you watched them against Clemson. You watched them against UNC. I mean, it was embarrassing how players, they were out of place. They act like they didn't know the call, and they were being exposed. So for him to take over the play calling duties means that something else is going to suffer as far as the head coach. He's going to have to have someone else on his staff who can pick up, that he can pick up some of the duties that he's going to have to delegate to them as a head coach, probably as some sort of assistant head coach, but I think it's really good to see Manny back in the saddle as the play caller for the defense. I expect a very aggressive, a very exciting group of guys who are going to be flying around, and they're going to be very, very physical, too. All right, Des, and speaking of Miami, still to come on College Football Live, quarterback De'Eric King, who we talked about as he heads into year two, will join us. He'll check in live. We'll, of course, ask about his recovery from the ACL injury and maybe even look ahead to that week one matchup against, oh, I don't know, Alabama. In the meantime, though, let's talk a little bit about UNC. Sam Howell, a potential top pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. First, he'll look, though, to continue his historic college career, 68 touchdowns, tied for the most in Tar Heel history. He'll have, though, a completely new supporting cast. The Tar Heels lost two 1,000-yard rushers in Javante Williams and Michael Carter, as well as their top two receivers is Deani Brown and Des, Des Newsom. US put, UNC has plenty of young talent coming in. The Tar Heels signed the 12th best recruiting class in the nation in 2021. The headliner, Keyshawn Silver, the number three defensive end in the class. Here's Mac on the preseason hype. We've gotten hype. We've been hugged. We've, been, we've had sugar thrown all over us. And we're, we're all enjoying it. We like it. Uh, so let's, let's clean it off. 
And let's get back to facts, because we were fifth in the country when we went to Florida State and about 25th when we were leaving. So I was trying to explain to them, you're not the fifth best team in the country without telling them you're not the fifth best team in the country. But we got to play. All those guys in the running back room and the receiver room, they have a really big chip on their shoulder, and they're kind of tired of everyone talking about who we lost instead of talking about who we got coming in this year. So you know, they've worked so hard. I've spent so much time for them. It's been a good challenge for me just to try to, try to get those guys developed um, into the players we want to see this fall. EJ, there were all kind of bright spots for UNC last season, and there were, of course, the typical missteps at well as well. Are they in position to take the next step forward? Yeah, Wendy, I think they are. You know, obviously you talk about the receivers and the running backs that they lost in the NFL draft. But, look, they have some talent coming back at both positions. I would say, first off, getting Todd Chandler to come over from Tennessee, a guy who's put up over 2,000-plus uh, all-purpose yards in the SEC. So he's not going to be afraid when he gets in the bright lights here in the ACC conference. But also you talk about the receivers, Shafri Brown, the brother of De'Ami Brown, then Bo Corrales, who was out a bunch last year with an injury. Another guy, Josh Downs, who they can put in the backfield and also flex out in the slot. I called their spring game and they were still throwing that ball down the field. So Sam Howell's going to be just fine this season. I tell you what, EJ, I'm excited about Sam Howell, but, man, he lost so much production and productivity around him. When you look at the two running backs, you know, you look at the two wideouts. I mean, you got two wideouts, both 1,000-yard receivers. You got two running backs, both 1,000-yard rushers. That's a huge amount of productivity that they have to replace. And you know that a quarterback's best friend, EJ, besides the left tackle, is the running back in the running game. And that took a whole lot of pressure off of Sam Howell. But if I'm Mac Jones and I got to try to rebuild my offense, at least I have a veteran quarterback in Sam that can lead the troops. And that will give me a lot of hope. And defensively, they returned 10 starters on defense. Don't forget, last year they were at number, I think, number five in the FBS with 36 sacks, so they can get after the, the passer. So defensively, I think they're able to take their in a position to make a, take another step forward. But Sam Howell gives me hope offensively because he's a veteran quarterback with a whole bunch of new faces and new places in the offensive skill positions. Desmond, you teed me up perfectly, just the way we do it. Look, we're in midseason form. <laughs> EJ, uh, having said all of that, where do you need to see improvement from Sam Howell? Yeah, Wendy, well, like most quarterbacks, you just want to improve in the footwork. When I went back and watched his tape in preparation of his spring game, there was a few times where he was bouncing around the pocket, you know, taking one more than, than more, one more hitch than he actually needed, especially if it's a five and a hitch or a seven and a hitch drop in the gun. I felt like if he can just tighten that down, he'll be a lot more accurate. Uh, one play stands out early in the Orange Bowl versus Texas A&M. Uh, he, uh, he was high over the middle and ended up causing an interception early in the half. Now, obviously, he was able to recover back because he could still make plays, but I I think if he could tighten up his footwork, that's what's going to take him from being a top five pick to maybe a top 20 pick. EJ, thank you. Clemson, of course, at the top of the food chain in the ACC. That has not changed. But if you take a look, if we talk about closing the gap, here are the best chances to win the conference. Clemson, of course, the resounding favorite, the ACC once again at 81%. Miami and North Carolina, the only other teams with more than a 1% chance to win the conference. So, again, Clemson at the top and everybody chasing the Tigers. We do have some sad news this afternoon to report in terms of college football. Hall of Fame coach Bobby Bowden uh, has been diagnosed with a 
terminal medical condition and in a statement uh, prepared, he says he is at peace with that. Bowden, 91, coached at Florida State for 34 seasons before retiring in 2009. He is the second winningest coach. Still to come, De'Eric King will join the show. We'll talk to the Miami quarterback about what's next as he recovers from an ACL injury. leaked tape that led to one of the biggest scandals in sports and changed the NBA forever. A podcast that unearthed it all. This is just like what 2014 was mm -hmm. like. Like, there's yeah. a lot of wild stuff happening. And now, a Hulu docudrama. TMZ was calling again and again and saying, we have a tape, do you want to comment? 30 for 30 Podcasts presents The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clips. We reshot the scene, and I could barely watch it because it was so uncomfortable. It was tough. A companion podcast to the FX drama inspired by the award-winning reporting of Ramona Shelburne, one of ESPN's top NBA reporters, an L.A. native, and someone who has been following the story from the moment it broke. Join Ramona as she sits down with the cast and crew of the show in spoiler-filled conversations and behind-the-scenes reaction to each episode. Man, this is crazy, but these people live these lives every day. Donald Sterling, this was his lifestyle for a long time. Listen to The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clipped wherever you get your podcasts. The SEC continues with media days in Hoover, Alabama, and there is some buzz this afternoon, courtesy of the Houston Chronicle, who reports that Texas and Oklahoma have reached out about the possibility of joining the SEC that would build the college football's first super conference and, of course, change a lot of things in a lot of places. Greg McElroy is there at SEC Media Days. And, Greg, as you mentioned earlier, the air sort of sucked out of the room. Uh, what's happening there now and what's your take on this possibility? Well, the scramble is on. Uh, I'm looking all over the place. People from Texas, Aggies, sites, people that are associated with the athletic department. There's only one athletic director that I've seen at Media Days this week. That athletic director was Ross Bjork of Texas A&M. So it is a little bit of a mad scramble, and every single media member here in attendance is buzzing right now about the story that was just broke by the Houston Chronicle and a lot of people thinking that there's a lot of legitimacy to this article, I actually looked through Twitter, not saying that that's the best example of credible news, but I looked through Twitter with people that are very closely connected to Oklahoma and to Texas, and I saw one in particular that said, this is not smoke, this is a legitimate fire. That was according to Jeff Ketchum, who's extremely close to the Texas program. So it's a huge deal, Wendy, especially knowing that it's Texas A&M that just took to the podium just a few minutes ago. Yeah, timing is everything, as they say, Greg. And Jimbo Fisher had just stepped up to the podium. Of course, he was asked about the possibility of Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. You've heard this, but there's a report in the Houston Chronicle that, that Texas and Oklahoma are inquiring about joining the SEC. <laughs> I bet they would. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you think about something like that? I don't know. I'm just worried about A&M. You know what I mean? Uh, Listen, we got the greatest league in ball, so I mean, you know, that, that's 
the choices they make or what they do, I don't know. But I don't know how I feel about it. I'm just worried about A&M. I'll control what I want to control here. <laughs> doubt Greg that he'll just worry about A&M that part's true but we need that coach translator thing we talked about earlier in the week because you know he's got a whole lot more thoughts about this than what he said there but of course coming at him full speed in almost real time well the thing that I find fascinating about this is just how much Texas A&M has benefited from being in the Southeastern Conference they've been able to separate almost completely from the University of Texas when they were kind of latched at the hip for a very, very long time. I also know that Jimbo Fisher has made it a high priority in making sure that the SEC is the centerpiece of their recruiting material. So when you receive a letter from, say, Texas A&M, the logo for the SEC is almost as big as the Texas A&M logo that you would receive on that paraphernalia. So it's been a huge part of what's made Texas A&M remarkably attractive in recent years. Much to the chagrin to Tom Herman, who was very frustrated by the fact that the Big 12 didn't have the same type of reception amongst the recruits. So this is a potentially a massive move, not just for Texas A&M, not just for the SEC, but a massive move regarding college sports because it puts tons of pressure on the remainder of the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Seeing two star blue blood programs leave shows that just about anybody would be willing to do that as well. So it put a lot of pressure on the other Power 5 leagues as well. Greg, let me ask you this. Desmond, when we had initial reaction at the top of the show, said his first question would be, what's the motivation? You know, why do these two teams want to join the SEC? It's, of course, probably the, the most dominant conference in college football. But in your estimation, if you had to answer that question, why do you think Texas and Oklahoma would like to join the Southeastern Conference? Money. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what it comes yeah. down yeah, to. I, I mean, when you think about it, and, and the, the Southeastern Conference, along with the Big Ten, have been by far and away the most lucrative leagues as far as being able to create revenue opportunities for their member institutions and I think with the I guess with the and the growth to potentially to 16 you got to be really selective and you wouldn't want to necessarily include a team that wouldn't be able to bring not just equal value but excess value to the bottom line for what the conference is able to create from a financial standpoint. Well, if there's one thing we know is that Texas has as much, if not more money than just about anybody, and Oklahoma doesn't take a backseat to anybody with how competitive they are in every single sport that they play, from softball to basketball to football, it'd be just a tremendous addition. So uh, I think the reason why is because money. You put these 16 teams together occupying this footprint and you go to television networks and say, hey, buy our first tier rights, buy our exclusive rights, it'd be outrageously high the amount of money they could have request because of the addition of Texas and Oklahoma. Texas has money. No truer words have ever been spoken. Greg, again, the Houston Chronicle reporting Texas and Oklahoma have reached out about the possibility of joining the SEC. When Mike Leach was hired at Mississippi State, we expected to see some sort of big upset victory. We expected to see some funky offensive playbook pages come to life. We expected to get some pirate-themed imagery out of Starkville, and we got all that. But it felt a bit incomplete because of what we didn't get. 
no Coach Leach standing at an SEC Media Day podium. No stories about Gettysburg. No mascot rankings. Their mascot is just outstanding. No life lessons from Blackbeard. No explanations of how Geronimo's battle tactics are the key to winning the SEC West. Today, finally, it happens. The man who lives life like it's an open microphone, spending an entire day standing at actual open microphones. Arg. Mike Leach has been around college football for quite some time. Never one to sit the fence. He was asked today about one of the hot button topics, playoff expansion. Well, I, you know, it's, 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 it's never enough. Any way to get by? Uh, I personally would like to see 64. Go ahead. And you can format it out uh, pretty easily, you know. But uh, uh, I think it's a huge step the right direction, and, uh, and I look forward to it. He doesn't even have a starting job yet, but Bryce Young in line to make millions of dollars endorsement deals now that name, image, likeness legislation has changed. Nick Saban on the set with Laura Rutledge earlier to talk about what this means both for his quarterback and in the locker room. Um, so much of the conversation has been around NIL, and, and you've answered so many of these questions. And as you've said, you don't know what's going to be right or wrong even a year from now. But the reality is these players are in position to make a lot of money. Maybe your quarterback making close to a million dollars. We don't know for sure the number there. But when you think about managing the locker room, you've managed a lot of challenging locker rooms and dealing with players thinking, I'm great now, and, and how do you keep them motivated? How do you manage this edition of the locker room? Well, it's always a challenge because when you don't have have a precedent for what the future brings you know you kind of don't exactly know how people are going to react and respond to these things but we try to get the players to have the right mindset going in so we anticipated that this was all going to happen we educated and talked to the players about this that everybody wasn't going to have the same opportunities some people were some positions and some players because of the value that they created with their brand would have more opportunity than others and that Players shouldn't be concerned about that. That still, you developing as a player and creating value for yourself as a player will have much more value in the NFL mm -hmm. if you're able to do that and not get concerned about how somebody else does something or what they're getting versus what you're getting. Mm -hmm. Does that impact and affect how you play? That, that, that's not going to be a good thing for you. And I think most of our players get that. We are talking about potentially, though, millions of dollars for some of these elite players on the college football level. Things will change. The question is, how will they change? Here's Paul Feinbaum earlier on SportsCenter. No matter what we say, uh, it's, we're, we're, in, we're in uncharted territories because we've, we've never been down this road before. And I've talked to a lot of coaches privately here this week at Media Days who think this thing is going to blow up. Uh, when, is that next year? Is it the year after? With the, with the transfer portal and with the, the NIL, the college football model has been shattered. But how badly? And, and what Saban said yesterday in Texas that he didn't want to talk about today is one of the most shocking things we have ever heard. College football reporter Harry Lyles Jr. joins us now. And Harry, I mean, we could really talk about this for days. There will be a topic that continues and we'll know more uh, in the next six months to a year than we know now. But what are you hearing and what do you anticipate 
as we evolve here in college football? Yeah, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that this is going to be something that we see a lot of answers on in the future, like really soon. A lot of the players that I've spoken to have said, hey, like, this happened July 1st. This didn't happen in February. I'm in football mode. I'm in school. I'm, I'm on campus. And the only time that I'm not going to be around is when we're on road games. And it's not like these brands are showing up at practice or anything like that and distracting the guys. Like, to me, it's I understand a lot of the concerns. I think a lot of them are not necessarily things that need to be concerned about right now, just given that these guys are ultimately there to play football. And what they do on the field is going to help them get those opportunities off of the field. Harry, thank you. It will certainly be something to watch. Again, to your point, this just changed and a new season already here, so it's likely going to take some time before we see exactly how this plays out. Speaking of how things play out, there's a lot of hype and a lot of focus on Miami. Is the U back? Speaking of which, De'Eric Keem came to Miami with a lot of hype, and he didn't disappoint. The best single season total QBR by a hurricane since the metric was first tracked in 04. His dual threat abilities had him account for 27 touchdowns, tied for third in the ACC, tied for third most by a hurricane in the last 15 seasons. However, his 2020 season ended on a down note, suffering a torn ACL in the first half of the Cheez-It Bowl against Oklahoma State. We're happy to have with us Derek King. Derek, thanks for taking time out. I know it's a busy week, but let's start with that injury and where you are in the rehab process. I'm, I'm pretty far along in the rehab process, you know, working hard every single day, um, day by day, just trying to, you know, trying to get ready for the first game. It's been a process, and I'm, I'm happy where I'm at right now. Derek, so much focus is on you, of course, as the quarterback. That's how it works. You take over in year two after some pretty impressive numbers. Uh, I asked the guys earlier, I'll ask you uh, yourself, what, where do you want to see improvement as a quarterback? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a lot of you know areas I can improve my game in, but for me, I want to you know improve the, the the deep passing game, so making plays downfield, you know, always making the right throw, um, making the right decision, decision making, and it's all the little things that you know takes to be a great quarterback. Listen, you're a dual threat quarterback. We know that. Yeah, it's sort of like you have two kids. You say you love them both the same, and, and you're supposed to. But do you have a preference of whether you run or throw the football? I mean, I would like to pass first. I feel like I'm a pass first quarterback. Um, you know, getting, getting the ball in the hands of the playmakers, um, that makes a lot of things easier on me. So I like to, to throw the ball first. Let me ask you about the Clemson Tigers because until proven otherwise, they're at the top. Uh, and Miami, of course, close on their heels. So too is UNC, perhaps. What's it going to take to change the way things play out in the ACC? Uh, I know for us, we got to you know, focus on the little things. We got to take it game by game and, you know, play our best when our best is needed. Um, I think that's the next step for our program, uh, just to play our best every single Saturday um, night. Um, and that's, that's what we're working towards this season. When you look towards the season, you got a pretty stiff test right out of the gate. Uh, are you already looking ahead to Alabama? Uh, yeah, I think right now, like, our main focus, you know, is focus on our team. We start camping two weeks, and we want to get, you know, our team the, the best, we can, uh, best we can be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's natural for us to watch tape on our upcoming uh, opponents, especially our first game. So, watch a little tape on them. But uh, we, got, we got to focus on ourselves first before we can focus on anybody else. All right, Derek, we look forward to a great season. We'll be watching. I like that jacket, by the way. It's pretty sharp. Thank well you. Done. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it.
De'Ara King live from ACC Media Days. A programming note for us, our next UFC fight night Saturday from the Apex in Las Vegas. Prelims start at 4 o'clock Eastern, ESPN, ESPN Deportes, and ESPN Plus, followed by the main card at 7 o'clock Eastern. Let's talk Texas A&M. The biggest question, who will they replace at quarterback? All-time passing yards leader Kellen Mond is now in the NFL. The Aggies have former top 50 recruit Haynes King as well as Zach Calzada battling it out for the job. The new QB will have a new group up front. The Aggies returned just one of their five starters from the offensive line last year. They hope not only to protect the QB, but also open running lanes for 2020 All-EC running back Isaiah Spiller. And finally, can the Aggies get over the Crimson Tide hump? I'm all for it. I, I think it's, it's necessary. I think it's needed. And not just because we finished fifth, but I think, because here's a point I want you to ask. Name me a sport in any collegiate level that except for the top five conferences, which is about 60 teams, where the other 60 teams have no chance to win the national championship. There's not a sport that, that in, in, our, in our world that that is not a, uh, that can't happen. It happens in college football. Those guys have never been in the playoffs from the other conferences if you're not a Power Five conference. From that standpoint, something, you know, I think it's very important. But also I think because of the way conferences are and you're only picking four teams, I think certain teams in certain leagues have big advantages. And I will say this, playing in the SEC, the number of great teams that are there that you know can get in a playoff and you see it in pro football all the time where the wild card or the team that finished second ends up winning the Super Bowl. That can happen very, very easily and some people don't think it can. I think it can. Clearly just about every coach being asked about playoff expansion. That was no exception. Our coach, Coach Chiswick, joins us now. And Coach, let me ask you about Texas A&M because everybody in that conference anyway is chasing Alabama. Is that gap smaller or is it getting wider for the Aggies? Well, that's probably kind, Wendy, that you called it a gap, because if you look on the field, it's been a chasm. I mean, look at last year. It was a 28-point <laughs> differential between the two teams. And if you go back before that, it's an average of 21 points every time they've played since Jimbo's been there. So look, has the gap changed? Has it become smaller and shrunk? I think it has. I think the thing that you're going to see this year is you're going to see three to four years of recruiting with Jimbo paying off right now they got an offensive line they only got one guy returning starter as a returning starter but you know what he said today in SEC media today he said you know what I know you don't maybe know the other four on the offensive line but I think every one of them are going to be NFL guys so I think the recruiting is paying off but you know what the bottom line is Wendy until it happens on the field until that 28 point differential shrinks on the field and he beats Alabama I wouldn't say that uh, A&M's in the driver's seat yet. I think, I think that's a fair assessment, Coach. You know, the buzz that way, I don't have to tell you, uh, the report from the Houston Chronicle that Texas and Oklahoma have reached out about joining the SEC. Uh, good, bad, indifferent? What's your take? <laughs> well, let me tell you, right behind me right now, there is a buzz going because this is how it got broke today. 
literally Jimbo's at the podium addressing, you know, answering questions and addressing things about his team. And somebody asked him, hey, have you heard about the Houston Chronicle deal where, you know, Texas and OU may be joining the conference? And I loved his answer. He said, well, I understand why they would. Uh, but it would be, it, look, it appears that this is not just a whim. This, you know, this is talking season, right? But I don't think this is just talk. There looks like there's uh, not just smoke with this, but some fire to it. The bottom line is, can you imagine, you're looking at four or five of the most historical brands in college football coming together under one conference if Texas and OU jumps in. That would be amazing. That would be the beginning of these super conferences that we've heard been talked about over the years. And look, let me tell you something. I know one team that probably wouldn't be happy that's Texas A&M because they've been able to use this SEC brand as a huge recruiting tool in the state of Texas, and that would eliminate that. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. I think, uh, speaking of understatements, I think interesting is one. There's no question about that. Coach, thank you. Something to follow. But where there's smoke, there's often a little bit of fire. Still to come on College Football Live, Chris Felica, a.k.a. The Bear, is with us. We'll go back to the ACC, talk about these win totals. Are they too high or too low? Friends at Caesars, William Hill posted the win totals for all 14 ACC teams. Clemson sitting at 11 and a half, meaning a single loss would lose you the over. Chris Felica, a.k.a. The Bear, is with us as well as ACC network analyst and former Clemson Tiger, Eric McLean. Uh, let's do a little too high, too low. Where's the dough? That's pretty self-explanatory. You guys can figure it out. Eric, I'll start with you and your alma mater, the Clemson Tigers, at 11 and a half. Too high, too low. It's too low, guys. They're going to win at least 12 games. I'm excited to see that. They just have another generational quarterback coming in and DJ Uyunglele. He's going to handle business. The Tigers will on the field as well. Okay, Bear, where's the dough here? Yeah, I, I would play the over 11 and a half just for a 12 and a regular season because the ACC title game doesn't count uh, in, in the win total. But the reason I would is because they really only have the one losable game. Over 11 and a half is plus money. They'll be a favorite against Georgia in the opening game of the year. So you can take Clemson at plus money to go over 11 and a half, take Georgia to win the game as an underdog at plus money, and get yourself a little bit of a hedge there. So I, I, I would lean towards playing, taking the plus money over 11 and a half. All right, I like it. Can't wait for that game, by the way. Eric, how about UNC at, where are we, 10 wins? Too high, too low? You know, I think this is too low as well, guys, and this might be a little bit of a shocker. UNC lost so much talent, so much production, but I was talking with head coach Mac Brown the other day, and he said, listen, think of our receiving core right now and our running back core. Think of it as 2019. You didn't know who any of those players were at the preseason, but by midseason you did, and that's exactly what he sees them going here. Excited for their schedule. Sam Howe, the best quarterback in the country. All right, Bear. Uh, that said, where's the dough? I, I am with Eric here. I think this is an over team. Uh, this team 
You see them in the Orange Bowl against AM? They look pretty darn good. I think people are going to overreact to the hearing the loss of the receivers and the running back and assume that this right. is not a UNC offense that's going to be loaded. Josh Downs is going to be a star at wide receiver. Ty Chandler is basically a starting running back coming in from, from Tennessee. Uh, Bo Corrales played a ton in 2019. He's coming back from injury now. The offensive line is entirely back. This is a team that's going to be an underdog probably in one game at Notre Dame. So, again, I think this is a easily a 10 or 11 win team in Chapel Hill. Uh, good news for Tar Heel fans. How about the best ACC bet? Bear, this one's for you. I'm going to go with Louisville. Uh, the number here is six and a half. There are some sevens out there. I, I just don't like the vibe I get out of Louisville. Uh, gone or Tutu Atwell and, and, and Desert wide receiver. Javion Hawkins has gone at running back. Scott Sutterfield's name was attached to a lot of jobs out there in the offseason. You get two non-conference games uh, in, 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 in UCF and, and, there's, uh, and there's one other game there, Kentucky as well, that they're not going to win. Uh, so like, I, I think under six and a half, if you can find that seven, that's even better. But, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm selling on Louisville this year. All right, we're buying what you're selling, Bear. Thank you very much. Eric, thanks for joining us. A lot of football to be played. We can't wait to watch. And there's also more College Football Live coming up. Stay with us. Coming up all this week on College Football Live, that's every day at 4 o'clock Eastern. We continue with ACC Media Days. We've yet to hear from Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers. We've still got to talk about the Tar Heels some more. What's coming up for Mac Brown's squad Thursday? It's the Sun Belt. They'll kick off their Media Days live from New Orleans. We'll have coverage as well. From the Sun Belt, Thursday and Friday, it's the Big Ten not to be outdone. They, too, hold media days. We are 4 o'clock Eastern College Football Live every day this week. More, of course, tomorrow on the big news about the SEC and the possibility of Texas and Oklahoma joining for a super conference. See you then.